And I remember like the one day it was January, I want to say like end of January. And I had run 10 miles, like I ran 10 miles after work, uh, which wasn't bizarre at the time because I was, I was, you know, building up my mileage and, and that was a normal distance. Mm -hmm. But I came home and at the time um, I was living with uh, a guy that I was dating. And I remember just being like, I don't, I don't feel well. And then bam, I passed out. Life is a trip. No matter where you've been or where you're going, you might have more in common with someone on the other side of the world than you think. Let's go. Hey everyone, it's Gio. Welcome back to the podcast and just a quick little intro here to this week's episode which is called Planes, Pacemakers, and Poetry. A lot of P's in there. Um, with Kara. So Kara is an incredible human being. I was really so fortunate to be able to interview her for this episode. And honestly, it's it's such a huge whirlwind adventure, as I wrote in the in the description there. Um, we start off talking about solo travel, especially um, as a woman traveling and trying to stay safe out there. And then also going into um, living abroad and just getting to live with a host family and what that experience was like. And then, of course, um, going into not letting our anxiety or fears um, take travel away from us, which is something that, you know, we've spoken about before in previous episodes. So it's something I think is really cool that she shared her story um, and her struggle, and I also got to share mine, but how passionate we've remained about traveling in general. Then, of course, if you please stick around to the end, you will get to hear her incredible story with um, getting a pacemaker at only 25 and still continuing to do sports, with, which is a passion of hers, and then traveling, of course, um, to Machu Picchu and hiking over there, which is, you know, already such an incredible feat to do on your own, let alone with a pacemaker. So really cool that, you know, she has such a vibrance and a lust for life. Um, And then we finish things off by talking about how she was published as a poet and how she continues to write and also has her travel blog. So, and and a few books coming up. So yeah, just enjoy the episode and um, yeah, please stay tuned for lots more in the future. We are hopefully going to finish off the year strong with the remaining episodes. I know a lot of people have been anxiously awaiting for that, and I'm just trying to get in the groove again, so please bear with me as I do that, and I hope you're all staying safe out there. See you around. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Life's a Trip podcast. Today's guest is Kara. She is actually somebody that we that I connected with um, on Instagram. So her Instagram handle is at from this side of the sun. And yeah, she basically embodies pretty much everything that we want to talk about on this podcast. So I'm super happy to have you as a guest. Do you want to go ahead and tell us a little bit about you? Sure. Um, well, first and foremost, thank you so much for having me. I'm super pumped. Um, Yeah, my name is Karen Knickerbocker. I'm originally from Pennsylvania. I still live in Pennsylvania, um, in Pittsburgh at the moment. And I've been here, wow, eight years now, I think. But um, 
I work at a university in administration and I am a solo female traveler. I've been to, I think, 44 countries now and I'm also a writer. So uh, I am the author of two poetry chapbooks and write and travel every chance I get. Those are things that I'm extremely passionate about, so. Awesome. That's super exciting. I can't wait to dive into some of those topics as well. But I guess just to start off, like, let's go into some of those countries you've been to. Like, where where did you start off? And like, how did you get inspired to start traveling as well? Yeah, so I'm from a very small town in Pennsylvania. And a lot of people never, you know, leave the hometown. Um, and I, I traveled a lot with my family when I was younger. You know, we went all over the States, did road trips, things like that. Um, but it wasn't until I have one older brother and it wasn't until he joined the military and he was stationed overseas, uh, that I had the opportunity to go. So it was December, I think 2010, uh, he was living in England where he was stationed and I went to visit him with a friend. And that was like my first time being out of the country. And I have this memory of, taking money, like getting money out of the ATM. And I was like, oh my God, this feels like monopoly money. You know, everything seemed so foreign to me. And so um, I just was like mesmerized by everything. You know, of course, uh, you living in Europe now, I'm sure you can attest to this, but, um, and being from the States, like the architecture is just amazing. Like there's all these beautiful cathedrals. And so I just was so blown away by everything. And I was like, this is amazing. Um, You know, I want to see more of what's outside of my home state. And when you travel from Pennsylvania to Ohio, it's not as mind blowing. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, that was my first trip. Uh, I went with a friend and we brought in the new year um, in London. And then uh, after that, I graduated college in 2012, and I took a family trip to Italy and Croatia um, with my family to visit my brother again, um, who was stationed in Italy at the time. So we just made a trip out of it, kind of like a celebrating college graduation, and um, my brother's married, and so uh, just to visit him and uh, my sister-in-law. So. That was the second, I think, big trip. And uh, I didn't start traveling solo until 2013. Um, Mm -hmm. So, and I can dive into that. Um, Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I graduated college 2012, you know, moved to Pittsburgh, where I've been ever since. And I started working. um, So I was the first in my family to go to college and to graduate college. And as I mentioned, being from a small town, um, people make fun of me for this now, but I thought Pittsburgh was like this huge city. You know, I knew it wasn't New York City, but it was still a a big city to me. I had never taken a bus. I had never, you know, really lived in a city before. So I moved in 2012, started working. And after a year of working, I was just, I was just miserable. Like I, um, I was single at the time. I felt 
like I was battling uh, depression, which I know we're going to get into a little bit later. But um, I, I was what I was 22. And I just felt like I, I felt like I was so old. <laughs> I felt like I didn't have <laughs> appetite for my life anymore. I was just so drained. I wasn't happy in my career. You know, I was doing everything by the book that I was told that you should do, right? You know, go to college, get a degree. Um, you know, I had my apartment in the city. So I just decided that um, after a year of working, I left my job and I bought a one-way ticket to Spain. And I lived with a family for three months and helped look after their kids and, and helped teach them English. And so that was my first solo trip. Um, and the reason why it sort of came to that was I didn't want to go alone originally. I, you know, I had never traveled alone. So um, I didn't want to go alone, but I couldn't find someone to go with. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of solo travelers might also start out this way. You know, they, there's safety in numbers. They don't want to go alone. They want to go with a friend or they want to go maybe with a significant other. But it's hard to find people that have the same schedules as you or the same desires as you. And also, of course, financially as well. So yeah. I finally decided if I keep waiting for someone to come with me, I'm going to be waiting forever. Or I'm going to wait and then it's not going to be a good time for me. You know, something will change in my life and I won't be able to go. So I just felt like it was this clean break. I'm leaving my job, um, you know, so I have the time now and mm -hmm. I've saved up money, so I'm just going to do it. So I did that. Um, I subletted my apartment in Pittsburgh and I found the family through Workaway. So I'm mm -hmm. not sure you're familiar with no I'm not I was gonna ask you about that like also the safety of it and everything because you never know like who you're ending up with and especially as a solo traveler that's a female you know I wanted to ask yeah. you about that as well yeah yeah definitely so as far as workway goes um there's similar things out there like I think help x um and other uh programs but workaway basically allows you it's a it's a website and it allows you to let's say for me, uh, you know, going to Spain, um, mm -hmm. it allows me to look for hosts for families or couples um, in other countries. And it's sort of just an exchange program. So I would essentially volunteer my time to help them with whatever things they need. You know, you can garden, maybe the family has a, a business like a hotel or um, a restaurant. So maybe you help them with that and you're not getting paid, but in exchange for your time uh, and your efforts, you get room and board for free. So as you know, with the exception of, um, you know, the cost of like a flight, <laughs> uh, the, the bulk of your expenses with traveling come with food and lodging. Yeah. So um, you do have to read through and see like what they're looking for and see if it's something that, you know, you're skilled in or that you would be interested in doing. Um, so yeah, I did meet with this family. It was, um, the boy was three and the girl was five, uh, and their parents were extremely wonderful. Um, the father spoke more English, so he connect, he reached out to me first and 
as far as safety goes, we did have several Skype sessions. So I got to actually like meet the family, talk with them, and uh, we just decided it was a fit. So mm. it's kind of bizarre. It's one of those things where you're like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And then even as you're on the plane and you're flying, like, it doesn't hit you until you, you land and you're like, oh, well, you know, what am I, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> so I'm very lucky that my parents were supportive. I had a lot of friends who were supportive. Um, so it was an incredible experience. And again, I know a lot of, um, especially solo female travelers can attest to the fact that when you do something like this or when you travel alone as a woman, it is so empowering. Like you do, you do realize how strong you are, how capable you are. Uh, it's cliche to say, but you get to know yourself. Um, and I, I just think that that's something that I'm probably the most proud of that I've mm -hmm. done in my life um, because mm -hmm. it was incredibly difficult for me. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. But I just had to do it. I had to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's super awesome, like the way you did it as well, because you really did your research, like you figured out sort of the way you would go about it and also like the country and everything you kind of got to know, like, I feel like Spain is like a really good uh, introductory trip as a solo traveler. Like it's a, it's a really, it's a pretty safe place, I would say. And it's also really beautiful. Like it's a nice first experience, I guess, for going there alone. And you, had you been to Europe before? Yeah, right. You mentioned you went yes. with your brother. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But never had you been to Spain or no? No, I had never okay. been to Spain. Um, so I mean, I chose it because you know I'd all I'd always wanted to go. Um, I knew that it was beautiful. The uh, place that I lived, the town that I lived, was called Blanes, and it was about uh, I want to say like maybe an hour outside of uh, Barcelona. Mm -hmm. And another reason why I chose Spain was because I had had studied Spanish. Uh, during college and so I was like well you know I know enough to get by but of course in that region they speak Catalan not Spanish oh wow <laughs> so um so yeah so I didn't really I mean it can be as different as playa and placha um so it was crazy like probably a month in I was having dreams in like different languages and uh you know and I'd been at a college for uh or out of those classes for quite some time so um so it was definitely eye-opening, but uh, yeah. but then I was with that family for three months, and then um, my brother was still in Italy at the time. Mm -hmm. So um, after those three months were up, I basically traveled um, to a couple different places with a friend that I met up with, and then um, like we went to Ibiza, we went to um, Paris together. And then um, I sort of went on my own, you know, she went back to the States. It was just like a one or two week trip for her. Um, and then I continued on and went to um, Morocco, uh, Czech Republic, uh, Switzerland, Belgium um, on my own. And then met up with my brother in Italy and like spent some time with him and with my sister-in-law. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then I came back to the States in like late, uh, early November, maybe, and started working at the college that I work for now. So, wow. 
crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's super cool though that you took advantage of that opportunity like to go around and, and also like it does take as uh, safe as Europe seems to a lot of people like it, it is like kind of nerve wracking as a woman like I, I myself did like a little weekend solo trip to Bamberg um, mm-hmm. um, like a couple months ago I would say and it was so scary like going out drinking by myself because I didn't want to get too drunk to like be unaware of my surroundings obviously like I wasn't planning on it anyway but like you don't sometimes you just lose track and you're like trying to enjoy yeah. your evening and you're like oh shoot like and you know people don't really care like I had people hitting on me at the bar I was with my book I was like trying to read at the bar (laughs) super lame but I was like I was not feeling you know trying to talk to people that night I wanted to be on my own and that was sort of like a weekend I just wanted to have to my to myself and in my thoughts and then these guys just kept talking to me and so I just made the most of it and was like being friendly um but it was like a little bit scary because I was trying to time it that so that I would leave before they did, you know, because it was two yeah. big guys. And I was like, no, they might see me walking back alone. And so I'm curious, like how you navigated that. Um, did you stay at hostels? Like what was sort of the way that you did uh, navigate the lodging and the food? Because you mentioned that's the priciest part, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Well, I agree to your point. Um, I think anybody that is looking to travel solo, I think for a first big trip, maybe, I mean, Europe is perfect. You know, there's a lot of people that can, even if you don't speak the language, you know, people, most people understand English and and speak English. So uh, it's quite easy to get around. Obviously there's a lot of tours that, that, that flock there. Um, But yeah, as far as the safety issue, you're absolutely correct. Um, You know, you have, and that's, that's one of the challenges is, you know, you, you definitely, your guard is up all of the time. Yeah. And it has to be. Um, but you do make friends. I did stay in hostels a lot. So I made a lot of friends. And it's really cool because during some of those trips, I made friends. Like I made friends in Belgium with a girl that is from Prague. So mm-hmm. I met her in Belgium. We like really um, became great friends, traveled the city, you know, traveled together. And then um, I actually went and visited her in Prague. And and so it was cool because obviously she's a local and like she has, you know, more to to show me. And uh, that sort of inside perspective um, Mm -hmm. was really great. So, yeah, you do meet a lot of friends in hostels. And as far as eating, um, your girl loves to eat. So, yeah, (laughs) yeah, I I think one of the things that I did a lot was... um, I would try to hit up restaurant like local restaurants if I wanted, you know, local cuisine. I would try to do lunch specials because typically lunch is a lot more affordable. It's a lot cheaper than um, dinner. So I would just try to like eat a big lunch. Um, but I can remember like <laughs> I can remember just buying a loaf of bread and a jar of Nutella and just like surviving off of that because uh, in Europe flights can be so cheap, you know, with Ryanair and yeah. other airlines, like flights can be so cheap. And, and so to travel, I was like, well, I'd much rather spend money on a, a flight to, you know, wherever than yeah. to be eating. Um, so yeah, I, I survived <laughs> off of that, which is like kind of embarrassing to admit now, but I mean, this all comes down to like how bad you really want to travel and how, and what kind of priority you make it. So, yeah, um, exactly. 
Totally. I mean, I, I can relate to that as well. Like, I think um, that's that's actually a good hack, though. Like, just go to the grocery store and buy, like, a loaf of bread or whatever go to-go items they have because it saves you a lot later on, especially, like, for the, the um, more costly meals like dinners. Because there are those trips that you're like, okay, this is a food trip. Like, I'm going to go yep. all ball in on the food items. Like, I'm going to get the most expensive pasta, whatever. I don't care. But then there's also like you want to explore as much as you can. And especially when you're going alone, like you don't want to spend too much and be really worried about money because that's like the worst feeling. So I totally relate. (laughs) Yeah. But as far as the safety thing goes, um, I think at first I was paranoid to to drink. I mean, I like I love to go and, uh, you know, try at restaurants, like try local beers and and things of that nature Um, and just sort of like kick back with a cocktail. But I was nervous to do that you know Mm -hmm. because as you said like you're just sitting there enjoying it and like you don't know someone can easily slip something in your drink or you know anything could happen and so I was very conscious of um you know sort of like staying away from drinking for for a long time when I did travel alone um I just sort of you know and then also you're not spending the money on alcohol like which can certainly add up but uh also I wouldn't go out like late at night. Um, you know, I'd be back in the hostel and, and my sort of like way that I operate when I travel is I like to get up early at, you know, I'm not paying to stay in a hotel or in a hostel, like to stay in the room. Right. Yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm in this place. I'm in this place to actually see this place and to explore. So I would always, uh, you know, get up early and I would be out all day. Like I love to explore cities on foot So like I walk everywhere. So after a day of like walking everywhere, and of course, no matter how much you prepare or like, you know, you have maps or you have your phone or whatever, you're still going to like get lost. You're still going to wander um, around and find things. And and so after being on my feet all day and like being up early, like I would usually want to crash early anyway. Um, So I think that's, that was like the way that I would always do things. And so I always felt if I'm, sort of watching my alcohol intake and then also like I'm you know I'm not out late at night um I'm just being smart you know I'm watching my things um but I think there's a lot to be said about the fact that you know you you do meet so many people in hostels and and a lot of people are traveling alone as well or maybe you meet like two friends that are traveling and it's so easy to meet other people and people generally are good. Like people are nice and friendly and like want to help. And, um, so I've, I've come into like some scary situations, but I've always luckily knock on wood, I've, I've been able to meet people that have helped me, um, in like through certain situations and have been able to like escape, uh, you know, a lot of like really dangerous situations. So Yeah, I mean, it's it's all about like being aware of your surroundings, like you said, and like, you know, you just have to be careful. Like sometimes you also make friends, but sometimes everyone has their own plans. And like that happened to me a lot in Australia where people are just gone all of a sudden and you're like, 
oh, okay, what am I doing tonight? I have to get home. Like, all right, I'm going to take a taxi. And like, I was even afraid to be honest, like one time I was afraid to even take a taxi because we were in a weird area of Sydney. And I was like, okay, I don't know if I should do this, but I'd rather not go home with this other guy. Like I barely know him and like, he's really drunk. So now I'm just going to take a taxi on my own and sit in the back or like an Uber or whatever. Like sometimes paying more for a taxi is smarter because like Uber can be shady. So, you know, you just have to really, um, try to read, read the situation, I guess, but you can't always be safe and that's what I've mentioned in past episodes you just kind of have to do your best and that's it and know like have your contacts ready as well in your phone and like prepare as best you can for those situations but it can be tough yeah yeah I mean I I definitely agree with you on the whole um you know like the transportation thing you know sometimes you do have to pay a little bit more money uh I remember when I went to Morocco like I I knew nothing about Morocco I was really sort of worried about, um, you know, like I, I just didn't know. And, and I hadn't done a, a ton of research and I felt kind of nervous cause it was, so, I knew it was gonna be a bit of a culture shock. Um, and so for that, like I did end up booking like a tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember there was one other, uh, this is again, how like connections are, are made and, and friendships are formed. But there was one other girl, uh, one other like single, traveler and so we were put together uh Mm -hmm. because uh you know as far as like booking costs and things like that sometimes you have to pay more being a single um so we ended up being put together and she was american she was from boston um and we had an incredible time in morocco and like i didn't worry about safety because i felt like i was you know in this in this sort of bubble you know, now I'd be curious to go back and, and obviously not be in a tour. But um, I think for the time being, it was definitely a wise choice for me. And I got to meet her, you know, she's from Mm -hmm. Boston, I've gone to Boston to visit her. And uh, she lived in Edinburgh for uh, quite some time. So I visited her in Scotland. So it's just really cool how, you know, now I have these, I have these friends all over the world. And that's amazing to me. Um, And I think as far as uh, safety, I tell people this all the time because when they find out that I travel alone, you know, you always get the question, what, you're going alone? Like, aren't mm-hmm. you scared? You know, it, being a young woman, like uh, in Morocco, like I had, I had a lot of people tell me like, oh, they're going to look at you because I had really blonde hair and, and, and light eyes. And the thing is, uh, you know, I don't want to get political, but like, look at what's happening in our country. Like these things can happen anywhere, anywhere. And I stress that all the time. Like, I'm not going to sit at home and always think of, well, what if this, or what if that, like I, there's so, there's such a big world out there and I just want to experience so much of it. I'm not going to get caught up on the fact that things could happen because I could walk across the street right now and like get hit by a car or I, you know, yeah, there's so many things that could potentially happen. And I just don't want to live my whole life in fear. um, Mm -hmm. And what if? Totally. I mean, that's what's funny that you bring that up, because I was um, before I moved to Germany. So I moved here in 2018. And I was doing some work like at a like at a phone company or something like that. Like I was just doing uh, consulting work. And basically, we had to do surveys. 
And so I went to like one of the phone provider stores and I was like asking people questions. But in the, in the downtime, I was talking to the employees a little bit and I was like, yeah, I'm going to move to Germany soon uh, to be with my boyfriend. And I was talking about my travels in general. And the woman there was so close minded and it surprised me the most because Germany is usually like not a place that people, especially people who are white are like upset about or like concerned about with like traveling there because you know obviously what's what's the issue there you know what I mean yeah so she was like no I don't think I'd ever go there and I don't I would never leave America and I was like wow why wouldn't you do that you're missing out on so much like there it's not unsafe first of all in Germany it's especially not unsafe for you who you're a white woman like I'm sure you'll be fine first of all but second of all Germany is a lot more diverse than people think so that's another thing and it's Europe like Europe is such an easy interest country for you to go to internationally I mean country I mean continent for you to go to internationally you know like there's so many countries all over Europe that are very accessible and friendly and speak English and so that's what I wanted to talk to you about as well like have you ever heard this sort of closed-mindedness from other Americans that that you might have met friends or whoever Um, because it's, it's crazy to me that people have this mentality still in the states you know it's kind of disappointing yeah. 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 Very much so. Um, you know, I mentioned being from a small town, and there's a lot of people that have never left the country, uh, mm-hmm. and <laughs> there's a lot of people who I think say things like that, and and maybe they truly do not want to leave America to ever, you know, travel mm-hmm. outside of the country. Maybe they don't. But I also have found that there are people that sometimes say those things, and it's rooted in. I don't want to say jealousy, but it's it's sort of like they wish that they could do that. Oh, um, yeah. you know, I've, I've, I've heard of I've heard of a lot of people that have sort of said, uh, you know, oh, you're going alone, or or why would you want to go there? But you know, when you talk more to them, it sort of unravels the fact that maybe they've never traveled, maybe they, maybe they've um, you know never done anything like that, and. Then it comes out like, oh, you're so brave for doing that. You know, I wish I could do something like that. Uh, so I think that that's something that I've tried to keep in mind. Yeah, um, that's a good point. Yeah, it sounds weird to be like, oh, maybe they're they're envious or they're jealous. But, you know, I have found that in some of the, the conversations. And for the people that truly don't want to leave, um, you know, I did it. <laughs> I did it sort of drastically. Like I left my job. I was like, yeah. up. I'm out of here. <laughs> um, you know, I'm not saying to everyone like, Hey, you should, uh, quit your job and, and do all of this stuff and, and move somewhere. But, um, I truly think that there's so much to be, to be earned. Um, and to be, I don't know, there's, there's so much to traveling outside of not only your comfort zone, but, out of your, um, you know, out of your hometown, out of your country that Mm -hmm. you were born into and that you know, because guess what? The world is so huge. And I think the more that you step outside of those boundaries that you're sort of set inside, you'll find that not only is the world so much bigger than you, but also how small it is, you know, how small it is and how alike we are. And I think that it's been something that's been crucial to me as far as being able to connect with other people, um, you know, sort of figuring out like my place in the world. And I do think that everyone should travel Mm -hmm. 
at, at some, in some capacity, you know, like I said, maybe not drastically, like I'm not saying quit your job, like, you know, quit everything and just up and move. That's not for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it's important to, to definitely travel. Yeah. And it's, I love the point you made earlier about like the monopoly money. Like, it's so funny <laughs> that feeling you get because yeah, you don't, you don't realize like, I mean, especially it still um, is mind boggling to me sometimes when I think about the places I've been to and like how people live like that. People have a completely different lifestyle, right. different culture. The money's different. Like, it's so funny to hold the money when you're first there. It's like, wow, this is this is like real money because you just yeah. think your money is the only money that, that is being used. Your currency is the only one. So you don't realize it. And then you're like, wow, I have this like different kind of currency. I have like a different there's a different way that people communicate, you know, some different words people use some Sometimes, even in English, like living in Australia, I learned that. And like, right. it's just inspiring because you do, you feel like humbled, but you also feel more connected because like you said, meeting people at hostels, I have friends all over the world too now that I met at the hostel when I stayed there and I got to meet up with them in their own countries, which is also like you said, really cool to like get to see their city. And like, even I stayed at my friend's, um, at her mom's house with her in Verona, it was so amazing. It was like on a vineyard and I was like, what? This is amazing. <laughs> like, yeah, I was like, wow, you really like hardcore Italian here. Like, <laughs> you know, so it was really cool to get to do that. And like, you know, I'd been to Italy plenty of times, but then getting to see her like actual house and like get to know, you know, her family and things like that. That was really inspiring because, you know, a whole, a whole new side of a person when you get to do that. So I think that's really cool that, you know, you have this story. And so, yeah, it's inspiring for other people. Hopefully listeners like get inspired too <laughs> to yeah. go travel. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely hope so. I mean, I've met some people during my travels that have been like, oh, you know, I, I don't see a lot of um, Americans that, you know, want to go certain places. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Europe is a big place that a lot of people go to, but you know, maybe more places like South America or um, Africa or um, I don't know, you know, like there's there's some places that are becoming much more popular to travel to. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's it's definitely great to be able to experience and learn about those other cultures because there's so many more things outside than just what we know. Yeah, totally. And like, Um, You mentioned, you know, some people also have these like hesitations because of maybe um, being envious. But I also think I was thinking like it could also be um, not feeling like you have access to that uh, financially or whatever. And that's also what kind of closes you off to that possibility. Like I think um, from my side, like in the Latino community, a lot of people, they think they're afraid, first of all, like politically, if they leave the country, second of all, like financially, um, you know, not having access to getting a flight and not knowing like, what's even the reason why they should go. Like, I'd rather use that money for something else that's necessary. So there's a lot of factors that come into play. And like another big one, which you mentioned to me, um, was, you know, having mental health issues and feeling like maybe you can't handle it because you're afraid of, it is very taxing, honestly, to go to the airport to even like get on a plane. It's, it's really exhausting, honestly. So I wanted to dive into that next a little bit, like your um, mental health journey and also um, the BFRB that you mentioned to me, which we can expand on as well. So I think I've always sort of battled anxiety Um, and the depression, like I mentioned I first really experienced in 2012 and this was something that was completely new to me. I mean, I just thought like 
dealing with anxiety, I just thought it was just like part of like my personality, you know, Mm -hmm. I just thought it was normal. Like that was my everyday normal operating system. So it didn't feel like I was, uh, you know, I, I didn't really know how to handle being told that I had anxiety because I was like, well, this is just me, you know, yeah. And nobody, nobody in my family, like nobody in my immediate family ever went to see, um, you know, went to therapy or, or went to a counselor or anything like that. So not that they made me feel this way, but, um, I think just in society, like coming up in that age, like I was just had the belief or this notion that if you went to therapy, you really had to be like messed up (laughs) or you had to really have some sort of like, uh, you know, childhood trauma. And I'm not, you know, I, I haven't had that. Um, Mm -hmm. I grew up in a really loving family and, uh, I always like worked really hard in school. Like I'm speaking to your point about financial issues and stuff. Like I'm not from a rich family whatsoever, but, um, we also like, didn't super struggle or anything like that. Um, so yeah, I think it was really hard for me to sort of come around to the idea of going to see a therapist. And, um, I think that now today, like we're doing a much better job of sort of ending the stigma surrounding, um, mental illness, but as far as the BFRB, so I have excoriation disorder, um, and, and BFRB stands for, um, body focused repetitive behavior and excoriation disorder or dermatillomania is also something that it's called, but it's basically like a skin picking disorder and it is classified under, um, OCD, like a, a form of obsessive compulsive disorder. And that started, I want to say maybe 2016, Mm -hmm. uh, late 2016. And it was very mild. Like I just had some spots that were on my arms and on my back. And then I didn't really come to understand excoriation disorder or what it was and what it meant until maybe about a year ago, um, if that. Mm -hmm. And I came across, I was just like, you know, Googling my symptoms, <laughs> as one does, um, yeah. which I don't recommend. But um, I, I came across this woman who I really hope if anybody listening, um, I, I can't recommend listening to this TED Talk enough, but it's a woman by the name of uh, Liz Atkin, and she's an artist, and she gives a TED Talk talking about her story with skin picking. And I, I listened to it, and I was like, Oh my gosh, like this is, this is me. This is exactly what I have and like what I've been dealing with and everything that she said, she said it perfectly. Like she described everything that I felt surrounding it. Um, so I guess I should back up a little bit, you know, everybody picks at their skin to some extent, right. You know, or like we pick at our hair, we might pick at split ends or, you know, just like fidget with, uh, with things like that. Everybody does that to some extent. Um, but where it crosses the line is when you're doing it and you're not even conscious that you're doing it. Like, and you have this, this undeniable urge to do it, to pick or to, you know, scratch at something. Um, and you can't really control it. And then it becomes something that you sort of try to hide. Like, so maybe you wear, long sleeve shirts, or maybe it, it 
the shame surrounding it keeps you from, um, you know, social gatherings or things like that. Like, so that's sort of where it becomes um, more of an issue. And I want to say, like, there have just been times where I've just, like, been picking and I haven't really noticed it, you know, but we, some of us see it as sort of like a flaw, you know, and and being a woman, I'm sure that you can uh, yeah. relate and understand, like, we're targeted with all of these ads, like, you know, clear skin, beautiful skin, all of this stuff. And so it, it really feels like you just have this thing that, like, once you, like, pick it off, then it's going to be gone, you know, so you want to, like, get rid of that. Yeah. Um, and so you don't even realize that you're doing it. And uh, a lot of people might think that like it's acne um so my spots are mainly like on my shoulders and on my back and i'm very lucky and fortunate in the fact that it's it's not like super super severe where it's all over my body um but i do worry about that like i worry about um trying to manage it and it's something that i'm just now starting to talk more about Mm -hmm. because as i mentioned i think that we're doing a lot uh of work trying to shine a light on anxiety and depression um and in the same vein that we are with um encouraging women to travel alone right you know the more that you see people do it the more that people talk about it sort of the easier it becomes to to try it yourself or to share your own story and so finally i decided like as much um sort of like shame or embarrassment that I might have wrapped up in this, it's far better to be able to talk to someone about it. And the more that I've shared my story, like if someone says like, oh, what is that? You know, because it maybe it looks like um, like a scar or uh, I don't know, like maybe like I I had a cut or a bruise or something. Um, The more that I'm able to talk freely about it, it's surprising to even me how many people have come forth and been like, oh, wow, like, that's a thing? I do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just, it's really great to be able to, um, you know, have that sense of, like, support and community and and hopefully be able to educate other people because the more that we talk about it and the more that we educate, uh, you know, other people can, can feel supported. Um, so, yeah. No, I mean, definitely. I think it's really, um, first of all, thank you for sharing that because it is something that's very, I think, that makes you kind of vulnerable to share, I'm sure, at some point, Um, because, yeah, it's like a a very personal thing as well. And like being a woman, we are constantly pressured to have this like perfection. Also on social media, like, you know, within this travel community, I think it's important for us to note that there is no perfect traveler woman who's like a solo travel woman without any flaws and just does whatever she wants and nothing happens to her and super woman like yeah you know we all have something that we struggle with and we don't always show it on social media and so that's why I'm I'm really happy that you know we connected and that I could reach out to you and we could connect over that mental health um, aspect as well because it reminds me even though it's not really the same thing like one of the things my therapist told me about my anxiety was that um, the reason why so one of the things I I do is like I avoid certain things to try to have control over that and I feel like that's yeah. sort of similar to what you're doing because you have control over that and it's a way of sort of releasing that in in, a, in I guess a certain um, 
method, I guess, just on your own body. But like for me, it's it's more like avoiding certain situations, avoiding crowds. Um, for me, it was like, honestly, at first I could not even go into movie theater um, because it was just too crowded. I felt really, really anxious just looking at everyone uh, trying to leave uh, through the door. Like I saw the whole crowd of everyone leaving and it, it made me get panic attacks. So that took me a while to build up to being able to go back to doing that. And then elevators as well, of course, and then going underground, which is like all of these things are part of travel and it's really sad. And that's sort of what made me be like, okay, no, I'm going to like get past this. Um, you know, you can take everything else away from me, but not travel. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, going into that, like that's that's why I I sort of gravitated to doing that, to like trying to take control of my anxiety by avoiding certain situations. And that made me feel like, oh, well, you, you don't have anxiety anymore. Like you just avoided that. So that means you're fine. And, you know, I just like put a mask over it, I guess, and just tried to pretend it wasn't there. But then I realized like, okay, you need to work on this because you can't travel. Like at one point I thought I'm not going to be able to get into a plane because it's just too crowded. Standing, for example, for me, the hardest part is getting in and out because it's like too many people. And I really, I still have trouble with this, but it's something that I talk about now a lot. And that's what makes you sort of feel like you're not alone and feel like it's a normal thing because it is. It's like really, even if you have anxiety or not, it is really difficult to travel in general to like be at the airport and go through all of the the process and everything. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's really important that you that you said that. And thank you for sharing, you know, your anxiety as well, um, because it's so real. And it also, I think, helps. um you know, validate those things. And as you said, like, I will not let this take travel away from me, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so I've sort of learned to, instead of like feeling like this thing is just taking over my life, whether it's, you know, the, the anxiety and the depression, um, or this, this disorder, um, I've just sort of learned to like accept the fact of, okay, this is something that I struggle with, but it does not define me right? Yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't define me. I'm not going to let it define me and I'm not going to let it control my life. Um, but I can't, as you said, like you can't just hide it. You can't put a mask over it. You can't sweep it under the rug. Um, the more, and the more that I've been able to talk about it, I think is something that not only does it, does it help other people, right? To understand what this is and to educate them on it. But, um, and also, you know, if they're struggling too, uh, it's been incredibly helpful in that route, but it also helps me because it helps me to, to voice those, those stresses and, um, and my struggle and sort of like name it and put it out there yeah. and to be able to cope with it because you do have to learn how to like manage and navigate your life around this thing, uh, instead of just, you know, being unwilling to accept that it's, it's a part of you. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> and, and you know, speaking of navigating life around this, like around something, you also mentioned to me that you got a pacemaker put in and that's like you also ran a marathon. So I would love to dive into how that worked out and like, you know, <laughs> why did you need a pacemaker? First of all, at such a young age as well. You know, that's something I think not not many people have to get right at our age. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so I had started to run. Um, I started running. Uh, and I remember like, I, I was never a runner, you know, I played soccer in high school, but, um, I started to run probably in fall of 2014 and I really loved it. I was, um, 
you know, training for half marathons. And, um, and I remember like the one day it was January, I want to say like end of January. And I had run 10 miles, like I ran 10 miles after work, uh, which wasn't bizarre at the time because I was, I was, you know, building up my mileage and, and that was a normal distance. Mm-hmm. But I came home and at the time, um, I was living with uh, a guy that I was dating and I remember just being like, I don't, I don't feel well. And then bam, I passed out and he caught me before I hit the floor. Um, and I had passed out like before in my life, like I had fainted. Uh, it happened a lot in high school, maybe two or three times a year. And they did do a lot of tests on me to see if they could figure out like what was causing it. They thought maybe I was anemic. Um, but I was totally healthy. I was totally fine. They weren't finding anything. And it, you know, two to three times a year, like it's, it's happening, but it's not like where it's happening so frequently that, you know, they really pushed more for answers and I, and I didn't really push more either. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I think as I got older, it's, it's happened less and less. So maybe once or twice a year. So anyway, after this happened, um, this was a unique situation because someone had actually been with me when I passed out. Like before I could sometimes feel like, you know, maybe I don't feel well, maybe this is coming on, but I, I wasn't sure like, am I, am I going to get sick? Like, am I going to throw up? So I would always just like go into the bathroom thinking that I, you know, was maybe going to throw up or something. Um, mm-hmm. and then I'd pass out. And so I would, you know, I would pass out alone, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is, um, part of the danger in fainting yeah, is that's when scary. You fall, yeah. Like when you fall, you know, hitting your head or something happening. So yeah. I, would, I would always pass out and I would like faint alone essentially. And then I would just kind of like come back too and, um, and whatnot. But so this time someone actually saw me pass out and, um, he had told me like, you know, you're, you're, like your eyes roll back in your head and, um, and you sort of like went into this seizure and then he said, you stopped breathing. Oh my God. And, and I, I remember thinking like, um, so this was after I came to, and he was telling me this, I, I remember thinking like, well, you know, this is the first time that he's seen someone pass out. Maybe it's just, of course it's a traumatic experience. Um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe he just thought that I stopped breathing cause he, um, he did CPR on me. And, um, so I thought, you know, well, like I called my mom and I told her and, uh, and the next day, um, cause I felt fine after like I, I came to, I felt fine. So I was like, you know, maybe I'm glad he was there. Glad he caught me, um, everything like that. But, you know, maybe he just thought that I stopped breathing and, and kind of overreacted just because it's a traumatic thing to watch someone, um, pass out. So the next day I ended up, um, I had to go into, uh, the doctor's office just for like a, a procedure. Um, and I passed out then, and I knew why I passed out there. And it was because of the pain from the procedure, uh, which is not uncommon, obviously, like, you know, certain things will cause you to, to pass out and, uh, pain is one of them. So I, I passed out from the pain. Um, I thought I was super tough and I wasn't, (laughs) uh, I passed out from the pain, but when I came to, uh, I could not, like, I felt like I couldn't move. I couldn't mm-hmm. move my arms. Like I couldn't move my legs. Um, I felt like I couldn't sit up. So this was, 
completely different from the night before when I passed out, when I felt fine after. So Mm -hmm. I ended up telling the doctor, you know, I passed out last night and, uh, you know, but now like, I feel like I can't, like, I, I couldn't even like move. And they said, nah, we're taking you straight to the ER. Um, and they thought for a long time that it was like something neurological. Right. And they said, but they ran all these tests. They did a, an EKG test. They, you know, did a CT scan on my head. Um, you know, a blood test, like all of these things. And it was coming back fine. Like everything was coming back fine. And I was starting to get frustrated because I was also the healthiest I'd ever been, right? Like I finally started running. Um, I had lost some weight. I'm training for like for a half marathon and and eventually for a full marathon. So I just felt super discouraged um, that I just wasn't getting any answers. And they said, you know, make a, an appointment with your, your PCP, your primary care physician. Um, and, but then we want you to see a neurologist. So I talked to my PCP and she said, this actually sounds like more of a heart problem. And I'm going to ask you to see a cardiologist. So I saw a cardiologist and the first thing that they had me do was do, uh, like a tilt table test. And so they essentially like strap you into a hospital bed and they monitor your blood pressure and, um, you know, your heart rate and, and all these kinds of things. And all they do is they just slowly, ever so slowly, just tilt the bed into a standing position. Mm. And all they do is say, like, you know, let us know how you're feeling. And I just thought this is like nothing's going to happen. Like all <laughs> I'm doing is just, you know, being from lying flat to standing up like it, nothing's going to happen. So a couple minutes go by. I'm like, I feel fine. I feel fine couple more minutes pass and I'm like, okay, like I feel kind of queasy, you know, or maybe like a teeny bit lightheaded, but otherwise I feel fine. And then I pass out and, and my heart completely stopped. So that's what was happening when I passed out was my heart was completely stopping. And that's why they probably weren't finding anything when they were, um, you know, doing all these tests on me before, because my heart is, is healthy. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I, it's not like I had this, um, uh, like heart defect or something like that from birth or, or this like incredibly, uh, you know, terrible accident or something. Like I have a very healthy heart, but when I pass out, something happens to, you know, the wiring or the signals and, and my heart just stops. So my heart actually stopped for, I think like 30 seconds, 20 or 30 seconds. Um, and so (laughs) the cardiologist came in, like after I came back, uh, came back to, he said, I recommend that we put a pacemaker in. And so it was, it was incredibly shocking to think that here I am 25 years old at the time, super, you know, healthier than I'd ever been. And then they're telling me that I need a pacemaker. Uh, Of course, at the time, like I was thinking like, isn't this for older people? (laughs) Uh, So I always get that question, you know, um, like what happened and, yeah. Uh, isn't that sort of like for, for older people? Cause you're quite young. So yeah, I, I do have a pacemaker. I've had it for four years now. And, um, and it was really difficult for me to get that because as I mentioned at the time I was, I was training for all of these races. Right. And like I had been working so hard, um, and I was supposed to run a full marathon and then as soon as I got cleared to run again, 
it was just like all of the work that I had done was just completely undone. Um, mm -hmm. So I was just so slow. Like I would get winded putting away laundry or walking up the stairs. Like I would get, uh, you know, I'd get lightheaded and I'd have to sit down. And that still does happen from time to time. Um, so it was just, it was really discouraging. Um, but six weeks after the surgery, I ran the Pittsburgh half marathon. And then six months after the surgery, I did get to complete the full marathon. I did it once, crossed it off the bucket list, probably never going to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I ran the, the full marathon, um, in sept that September. So, yeah. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. And they, they said it's totally fine too. So like anyone listening who has a pacemaker, you can also do it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. I also, um, I also did, like that sort of was a catalyst for me thinking like, I'm not going to be here <laughs> always. I'm not going to be here forever. Mm -hmm. And having had my health up until that point where I was like not sure what was going on with my health, it really got me thinking what do I want to do with my time here? You know, and, and I knew that I loved traveling. So, um, so I just kind of refused to be held back after that. Um, and I had always wanted to go to Peru. I'd always wanted to hike Machu Picchu. So I did that. Um, I got the surgery in March and then in June, maybe it was June or July. I can't remember now, but, um, yeah, I went to Machu Picchu because I was like this, like, I want to, see so many things and experience so many things and and it's not promised that we have tomorrow and it's not promised that we're always going to have our health so that's another big thing that I do want to mention to anybody that's like that's listening is um you know so many of these things like we take for granted but at that time like I have and I had my youth and, and my health and so uh that's also another reason why I travel so much internationally because I feel like as you get older, you know, you're not as willing to stay in, you don't want to stay in hostels maybe, no, or really. um, you, know, you don't want to, you're not willing to put up with like a, a really long overnight train ride and, and things like that, you know? So uh, I'm young, I, I have my health. So I want to go as far as I can now. Um, and then when I get older, I mean, cause there's plenty of things of course to see in the States uh, but I want to see more of those things. And I think it's easier maybe to see more of those things uh, as, as I get older. So um, I want to go as far and wide uh, now, you know, as I can. Yeah, totally. That's awesome. That's the same same for me. Like, I also feel the same way. That's also why I took advantage as much as I could with traveling with my mom. Like, she's a professor. So mm -hmm. we got a lot of these free, I don't know if you've heard of EF tours or like these education tours that were like for college students or like high school students even. So that was really fun. Like, I got to do that my whole life. And that's sort of why I've traveled so much. But I mean, it's incredible that you went through all that and then still pushed yourself. Like, I, I had an opportunity to go to Machu Picchu, but I was in high school and I was like, I had my AP tests, which are like advanced placement exams, like really difficult classes. And I was like, no, I can't miss my exams. I was such a nerd, but I just, I should have gone probably, but I definitely want to go before, yeah, before I'm too old, because that is a really, that's an intense one to do, right? Like that hike is pretty intense. I've heard and the elevation level and everything so yeah that's amazing yeah. I was really worried about that when I went mm -hmm. and so I actually didn't hike up in the morning um you have the option like you can take a bus uh 
partway up. And so I did that just because I thought it's way too close to being after my surgery. Um, I just, I, I had a lot of fear with, uh, you know, as you said, with the elevation. So um, I did that. I hiked all around it. And then I, I actually hiked down. So, um, so I didn't like hike the full route just because I was, I was so nervous. You know, if I, if I had my health then maybe I would do those, like the full trek, you know, the, the three or four day, like full on trek, but, um, I just had to be, to be careful and to be cautious. Yeah, for sure. I mean, even when you are young too, like you, like regardless if you have your health or not, like definitely be careful when you're doing these hikes and trips, because my mom and my younger brother, like my they did like rafting over there and my brother actually almost died because he was so young and like he got stuck underwater because the raft flipped like it's just that's something I I think I've said before is like rafting is super scary to me to be honest um so yeah I'm just yeah that's something I'm not going to do again I did that once too and I was like no this is way too intense but regardless like remember you're not invincible whatever age you are like you have to be careful because nature is there and it'll do what it wants to do so yeah that's, that's really cool, though, to hear your story. And, like, that is really scary. Like, I'm glad that you made it through all of that because that's intense. <laughs> Painting well, and everything. Well, thank you. And, like, thank you for, um, you know, I think highlighting the fact that Instagram is very much a highlight reel, right? Mm-hmm. And so we see these things and, you know, people tell me sometimes, like, like that's so cool that you did that or, or whatever. And... I think for a long time, like, I just sort of felt like this sort of uh, maybe, like, imposter syndrome mm-hmm. surrounding that fact because, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that people don't see. Like, when you post a picture of yourself in Chiang Mai or, uh, you know, wherever you're at, like, they see these these gorgeous views and um, these incredible adventures that you're on, but there's so much that goes on below the surface and, and that's why I think it's really important, you know, podcasts like this, like you, you're really able to dive into the fact that so much is actually below the surface and exactly. Yeah. 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 And I wanted to like, um, one last topic because I know it's like getting really long, but definitely wanted to dive into your poetry and like where you got inspired to do that because you've published two books, as you mentioned, and like, is, is your poetry sort of about your personal experience or is it about, um, your travels or a combination? Like, where did that sort of come from? Absolutely. So I started writing maybe in sixth grade. Um, that's like when I can first remember, I always loved reading. I would always take a book everywhere, but yeah, my poetry, I think, centers mainly on the struggles that I've gone through, my personal experiences. I, I like to write a lot about um, the human condition. I like to write a lot about the body. I do write a lot about traveling, although I've found that it's hard for me to write about traveling like when I'm actually traveling, like when I'm in mm-hmm. the place. Um, so what I do is I just open up the notes section on my phone and I'll I'll jot down things, right? Like I'll jot, I'll, I'll jot down an image or a word. Um, and then I have to sort of put some distance between it. And then maybe when I come home, um, months, years later, <laughs> whatever it may be, then I'm actually able to write about it. Um, Cause mm-hmm. I think there's so much when you're traveling, like you're oversaturated, saturated with so many things. So uh, yeah, I need to put some distance between me and the page before I return to it. But yeah. I do write a lot about those things. Yes. 
That's awesome. And like when it comes to actually publishing, because there might be some writers out there with who are writing poetry or whatever else um, who might think it's like kind of difficult to publish a book. Is, was it pretty difficult for you or where did you kind of start to sort of go that route and take that big step? Yeah. So as long as um, or as with the other things that I've mentioned, I think a lot of it has come down to community. Um, I, here in Pittsburgh, I belong to the Mad Women in the Attic, which is a community of women writers. And so I knew nothing about publishing, right? And I, I didn't think, I didn't think that I would ever be able to, to write a book or publish a book. Um, and these are, these two poetry chapbooks that I have, um, chapbooks are shorter collections of poetry. So I know when I first started writing again and, and got involved with the Mad Women in the Attic, you know, there's women that are as young as 20 and as old as 80 uh, in this group. So it's really amazing to see, like, we come from all different backgrounds, all different types of experiences. And I just, I just connected with writers that, um, whose work that I admired. And I talked about, I talked with them about their experience with publishing and started to know and, and learn more about it. And then I just started submitting my work. So part of getting published is really just putting yourself out there. And I know for a lot of people, that's really difficult. Um, you know, maybe you sort of view poetry as something that you keep internally, like just for yourself. Uh, and that's obviously totally fine. There are poems that I've written and kept for myself that I'll never, you know, try to publish, but I don't, I don't feel any sort of vulnerability or, um, restraint when it comes to that, because as we've been talking about this whole episode, um, you know, putting myself out there and like sharing my struggles, it not only helps myself uh, understand and make sense of, of of what I'm doing in this world and and what it means to be human, but hopefully can can help other people. And there's there's so much work out there that needs read, and um, everybody has a story to tell. So there are things that we feel like shame, for instance, right? Mm -hmm. I might have something, a situation or an experience that happened to me that um, is not something that you've experienced, but you can still understand the emotion behind it. You know, you yeah. can still understand what shame is. So that's why I think it's important to, to write and to put yourself out there. Yeah, that's incredible. And like, can we also hear the titles of your books in case anybody wants to purchase those? Yeah, sure. So um, my uh, first chapbook that I published is Next to Everything That Is Breakable, and that's through Finishing Line Press. Um, and then the second is The Shedding Before the Swell, and that's through Dancing Girl Press. Um, and both are listed on my website or, um, you know, if, if anybody does have any interest in purchasing, you know, I have copies that I would love to, to sign and, and to send uh, if someone was interested. So they can contact me as well. I know you're going to. Yeah, yeah. I'll have that all in the information. <laughs> yeah, I'll have that all in the show notes, too, for anybody listening, because I'm definitely interested. I'm, I'm for sure going to check those out. And that's really nice to have a community. That's a great tip. Like, mm -hmm. I think it's difficult for some people. But like, honestly, with technology right now, if you're really passionate about getting your stuff published, like there's a lot of different communities on Facebook, wherever. You just have to put in a little bit of effort into the research part, but I think that it's definitely possible and that's inspiring for, for myself included because I am a big writer and I'm hoping to do something with that maybe later on. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's so overwhelming, right? Like when you think mm -hmm. about 
how do I publish or how do I do this? Or, uh, you know, going back to travel, like, where do I go? How do I start? Um, you know, like, what things should I be aware of? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's so daunting before you take that first step. And so I think even though a lot of these things we've been talking about, right, like writing is a very um, <laughs> solitary activity. Uh, um, but even though you do it on your own, there's so much around it that's that's rooted and, and surrounded in community. And mm-hmm. the same thing with uh, with traveling, like even if you're a solo traveler, uh, you know, how many people do you meet? Like when you go to these countries or you stay in hostels, how many friends do you make? It's so easy to to meet people and, and, and connect with people. And so I think the first step, like I would recommend to anyone is kind of find your, find your community, find your tribe. Um, you know, there's a uh, girls love travel. I know there's all these like Facebook groups. There's yeah. <laughs> uh, uh I write a lot for Pink Pangea, who sort of combine, you know, traveling uh, for women and also writing retreats, Mm -hmm. uh, wonderful. Yeah, there's so many things out there for for writers and for travelers. So if you're able to connect um, and sort of meet other people and talk to other people about their experiences, it's it's so much easier because if you have questions, someone can answer and, and shed a light on their own experiences and that can help guide, you know, your way into whatever it is that you want to do next instead of so, sort of searching blindly, like, where do I start? This is also overwhelming because it, it can be. Yeah, exactly. And the, the important thing to note too is like people in those communities want to be there as well and they are willing to put in the time and they're feeling just as vulnerable as you are, I would say as well, just to like to comment anything or post anything of their own work. Like that's what's kind of cool yeah. is you're all, you know, open. It's like an open-minded and sort of like a uh, safe space, I would say, when you join these communities. So that's good to keep in mind. Absolutely. And like we all start somewhere, you know, we all we all started somewhere. We all had to take that first step. And um, and so we've all been in that same position that maybe someone who's listening um, is in right now where they just they kind of don't know where to start. They feel overwhelmed. They feel scared, nervous, anxious, you know, all of these things. So. Um, so, yeah, I think it's definitely uh, a great thing to connect with other people who who share those same experiences. Yeah. Yeah, kind of like we did. (laughs) Super cool. (laughs) Well, nice. I have like so many more questions I want to ask you, but I think we're going to have to close things off. So um, let's go into the closing question. So what are some small things that make your day better? Ooh. Um, So I mentioned I live in, in Pittsburgh. I live in a really small, you know, city apartment. And one of the things that has sort of been my saving grace is just to um, you know, I do try to run again. I'm trying to get back into that. Um, but also just to be able to, I know we can't really be outside right now, but, um, just to be able to like, I crawl up on my fire escape and like sit out on my roof and I, and I read and just to be able like to feel the sun when we have it in Pittsburgh, uh, <sighs> is just so great. Like it's amazing just to feel Aww. the sun on my skin. And, and so, yeah, I would say like, being able to get some fresh air and some sunlight um, and lose myself in a book. Uh, I have been listening to a lot of podcasts and um, yeah, and I I do try to get some exercise and I've been eating chocolate every day. So that, that's 
same girl. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, getting me through this, to be honest. <laughs> but I, I totally agree with you. And that's such a cute image, to be honest. Like, that's what I always think of, like, East Coast. Because <laughs> I'm, like, thinking of, like, the, the fire escape thing. Like, I never had that growing up. So that's pretty cool. Um, and, yeah, same here. Like, getting out on the balcony as much as I can, getting some sun, going for a run with my boyfriend is nice when I can handle it. I'm still trying to get into running as well. <laughs> kind of hard yeah yeah when you've taken a break too Mm -hmm. like it's not like riding a bike like you gotta sort of retrain yourself all over again but yeah and if I had a balcony I would definitely be on it (laughs) but I know I've been hearing that from a lot of my friends I'm like feeling sort of guilty but like I definitely appreciate it like I'm going to be on there as much as I can when it's not raining so (laughs) yeah yeah, that's awesome. Well, cool. Thank you so much, Kara. Let's go ahead and uh, finish things up here with any of uh, your contact information, like your um, Instagram page. First of all, we'll have everything linked. But if you want to mention that again or any website you want to mention, feel free. Sure. So, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, you can find me on Instagram at From This Side of the Sun. Um, and I do have sort of two websites. I have I started my travel blog in 2015 just as a way to kind of have a home and a place for my um, writing ventures and also for my travels. So that is from this side of the sun.com. And then as far as like my author page um, with all the links to my publications and, and chat books and stuff, that is just my first and last name. So karenknickerbocker.com. Um, but please, if you're, if you're interested, like I said, you know, reach out to me, don't be, don't be shy to connect with me and, and I'd be happy to talk to you more about any questions that you have. So, and me, yeah, I love connecting with people. So say hi. (laughs) Yeah. That's important right now, especially (laughs) it's nice to connect. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again, Kara. And, um, yeah, we'll see each other soon, hopefully one day. (laughs) Thank you so much, Giovanna. I really appreciate it. Follow me on Instagram by searching for at GeoMonreal and check out my blog on GeoMonreal.com. Want to be on the next episode? Send an email to lifeisatrippodcast at gmail.com. Music from Purple Planet.